My name is Bernie Worrell. My, my gift is from God. And I was born with perfect pitch also, so I can play any anything I hear, I can play. And I had the gift of being able to mix music. This is what I do, been doing my whole life. Classically trained, played in church. He mentioned his project and how he would like to merge he didn't know if it was possible, but how he'd like to merge funk with Native American music. So I said, yes, what I thought. I said, sure. But my, I believe everything is related. Music is, musics are related. Just have to work it out. Bernie, you know, his, his phrase is woo, you know, and he, he's referred to as the wizard of woo and Kind of that's that's the term he uses. Um, God, I still refer to Bernie in the present tense. You know, he's still around. Um, that's that's his musical outlook. You know how he he wants to bring people together through music, and that's how you know he his really outlook on music was and communicating with people and you know giving people strength and and uplifting people and the clinket word wooch also has to do with you know the people being together and it was yeah and we kind of were like wow those those words totally intersect with each other and they both have this commonality of, of a shared meaning so that was 
you know, as soon as we found that as being, you know, like a happy coincidence or more than a coincidence, you're like, wow, that that totally fits what what this record is about. Because a lot of the, the, the thematic material, you know, has to do with human relationships with each other and how we interact with each other and, you know, that, you know, relationships are so important and define who we are as people. And yeah, it was, again, one of those things where it's like, the work reveals itself to you once you get to the end of it. And it wasn't like a conscious thing at all. It just, you get to the end and you look at all the pieces and you're like, wow, there's there's a unifying concept here. For me, I, I discovered Bernie mostly, well, initially through the Talking Heads. So I, I remember seeing the Talking Heads, uh, their Remain in Light tour, or the, the, I'm sorry, Speaking in Tongues tour. And I saw that movie too. That stopped making sense, and and you know he's really heavily featured on that that film, you know. And I was just like, God, this guy is just audacious, you know. And he, you know, he he has a way of like the how he plays his instruments or his keyboards. Like he has a way of just hanging a note out in space and not taking up a lot of room with it. But he just. And it's like, but and you notice it. So he's not getting in people's ways, but he's adding to it in such a unique way. I don't know any other keyboard player who does that. And and so sometimes when he go would be doing a solo, and they'd be uh, focusing in on him. I you know I was just fascinated and captivated with you know his presence. And so that so then you know kind of retroactively I started going back and getting in. I mean I was I grew up listening to you know Earth Wind and Fire and Ohio Players and you know, all this, you know, funk stuff, you know, that, you know, funk soul. And, um, but I never really hit on Parliament Funkadelic. And so then after that, I'm, you know, I'm, I like to go down the rabbit hole when I find a musician that I like. And then all of a sudden, I started getting all of Bernie's, like his solo albums. So I was pretty much had in every album that he ever made by the time I got to meet him, you know, and, and really had, you know, gone through the entire discography of like Parliament Funkadelic and, and anything else, you know, the whole Bill Laswell era and all of the different, you know, work he'd done with like African musicians and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I was like, anything I could find, I was like, I got to get it. I got to, I got to listen to this and I got to, you know, get it in my, you know, in my head. I remember the day I learned Bernie Worrell's name. I was so I was in junior high school in the late 80s and that was the era when people started heavily starting to sample P-Funk and hip-hop and that was like the fresh music of the day you know it's like that was like the heyday of like Public Enemy and like X-Clan and everybody that was heavily sampling that and I remember one of my I was in seventh grade and one of my buddies brought in I think it was Rap Pages magazine and it had an article in it about P-Funk and a list of who was sampling all these P-Funk songs. So I knew, you know, like, 
me, myself, and I, you know, my De La Soul, and I knew all this, these samples that were in the music that were awesome, and I had no idea who they were coming from, and that in seventh grade, that article outlined it, and it had the list where it's like, me, myself, and I sampled Not Just Knee Deep, and, you know, this song sampled, like, this X-Clan song sampled Flashlight, and Digital Underground sampled like theme from the black hole on this stuff like that where it had like this full page list and I was like oh snap all this music I like is coming from that and that article listed you know Bernie Morrell and Eddie Hazel and Gary Scheider and Junie Morrison Bootsy all these people who had names I'd never heard before so that like I stole the magazine or no I ripped out the pages that had that chapter in it and then that was like my template going to the record store. And I would try to find everything on that list and just every weekend, like, okay. And that was when a lot of that stuff was out of print. So you couldn't find, you couldn't like go into, you know, like the Fred Meyer record store or Sam Goody and find any P-Funk stuff in print. Maybe you could find like the most recent George Clinton solo tape, but you couldn't find like America Eats Its Young and, you know, Uncle Jam Wants You or any of that stuff. And so then all of a sudden, because everybody was sampling it, then all of a sudden it came back into print. And then you could find almost, not quite everything, but almost, almost everything. So then all of a sudden I was able to get my hands on copies of it and just from there. And that was like, I was like 11 when I was starting to play guitar. So all this like P-Funk coming in was right as I was learning to play guitar. And Bernie, Bernie's stuff he was doing on all those records was so awesome that it was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that too. And I was starting to dink around on keyboards and stuff. And so I was trying to learn every part that everybody was doing on any given P-Funk album. And then I just steamrolled and I was like more and more obsessed with it. And then Bernie... Because I think out of all, everybody in the P-Funk camp, Bernie stayed the most relevant in contemporary times more than anybody else. A thing about Bernie that I was like to point out, and I spoke about this with another one of the, you know, the Bernie Warrell Orchestra, he said he learned so much about... Um, how these uh, pedals and things would would morph his keyboard sound. So he was very very much about you know, and that's why he pioneered so many new sounds in the music because he would he would use it in such a unique way, not the most obvious way, but sometimes he would take like a phase shifter and an envelope filter that would just kind of like take it. You know, and, and if he played like really percussively, it would it would change the timbre of the of the uh, the chords that he was playing, and it just it, you know, nobody plays like that. He he was really uh, kind of a master at like playing with different sounds and how he'd shape the sounds with uh, with different pedals and things. <laughs>
things about playing with Bernie was that he liked to interact, like, in terms of, like, solos, like, interacting with, like, with another soloist that was, you know, doing, like, call and response type mm-hmm. stuff. That was always fun because you never know, like, what's going to happen at any given time. Like, Scare could play a line and then Bernie would echo it exactly and then they'd start kind of do, like, dueling banjos except it's a sax <laughs> and, a, and a Rhodes, <laughs> you know? Yep. And then it was, like, I loved, like, throwing, you know, because I'm such a P-Funk nerd that I would, like, throw in, like, find, like, an Eddie Hazel part off of off of one of, like, the early Funkadelic records and then throwing it at him in the middle of a song to see if he could catch it. Because if he caught it, he would crack up and start laughing. And making Bernie laugh was was always was always awesome. So right, I started right. doing that, like, bitch. Like, all right, let's see if he's gonna catch this one, <laughs> and then if, and every now and then I could make him mess up a little bit because he'd be laughing because he'd catch something, but then he would start turning that back at me, seeing if I would catch stuff, and then I could, and that would throw me off. Like there was right. that one time where we were doing like flashlight, and he kicked it in and not just knee deep, and I was just not ready, and I just bungled it up terribly but i was like yeah because yeah, he's he's the master <laughs> right right so. yeah no there was there's so much joy that he had when he was performing doesn't matter you know if it was you know however many people were in the audience he would just um uh his you know enthusiasm was just infectious you know he would just he would keep everybody like with a big grin on their face you know the whole time and he'd, you know, he'd be looking at you making eye contact and you know you do something and he'd crack up and then you'd be like you know you'd start laughing too and then you know it was just like that you know he is the creator of of circle you know <laughs> He is, he brings everyone together and whether you're on stage with him or in the audience. And it's just, uh, he's just so great, so uh, joyful and great. When we got to the third album, um, Stanton started having scheduling conflicts. So we had the studio time booked, and it just it happened to fall in a period where Stanton wasn't available. So that's um, Randall suggested that we use uh, a drummer he knows, he knew, named uh, Stephen Nister, who I had never heard of before, but I was familiar with stuff that he played on because he's he's done some stuff on like some Gnarls Barkley stuff, and, like some Danger Mouse productions. Um, He's Brian Blade's drummer when Brian Blade does a project where he's not playing drums. Um, he's like Brandy Carlisle. Most recently, he's playing with Sparks. And he's from, he's from Michigan, which is another like Michigan connection. So Michigan is a cool, relevant place in that, you know, yeah, I think Randall's from out there. Stevie's from out there. Michigan was like kind of the P-Funk hub in a lot of ways, like when when the guys moved from Plainfield out to Detroit, Mich- you know, Michigan became a hub, a funk hub in a lot of ways. So having another Michigan p- 
person in there was was cool but his his drumming is really different than Stanton's you know Stanton is very much like the New Orleans style in a lot of ways Stanton is like four drummers at once you know he's there's times where he sounds like a second line drum group where there's like one guy playing one part on the kick and there's a snare drummer and there's some other people doing other percussion stuff Stanton's like an octopus he'll sound like a bunch of people at the same time and you have no idea how someone can juggle that many parts and also a very busy drummer like there's a lot going on in Stanton's part where there's a lot of like 16th notes are very present in Stanton's drum arrangements um, Stevie is much more you know is a northern guy versus a, you know a southeastern drummer so you got that vibe different um, he studied under Bob Moses, which another Jim Pepper connection. Bob Moses was in the Free Spirits with Jim Pepper and Larry Coriel and were one of the first jazz rock bands ever. Um, Bob Moses became a jazz educator and uh, Stevie studied under him. So there's a lot of like Bob Moses elements. Um, has a very different funk approach than Stanton does and very much more spacious drum style where there's not as much going on at the 16th note level which opens up a lot more space to where you hear other things going on when there's not like a steady stream of 16th notes so very different approach and so you can kind of hear the difference between the first two records which are the Stanton records and and Wooch, which are the Stevie Nister records. Um, Stevie's also Buddhist, and he's has a very spiritual-based element to, to how he plays. So the vibe of those, the two later records are, are really different, just having that, that drummer change and very different drum tone, you know, and in, in the drums that they're using. So, um, so yeah, it was cool to have, to have another you know, person come into the fold and, you know, not, we haven't really had a stagnant lineup where it's like, yeah, this, the whole line has had the same people in it, which is cool. Cause again, it's like, there's, you don't want to make the same record over and over again. So, you know, there was a, a vibe change along with that. And then after, after those projects, that's when Stevie went on to, to play with Sparks and tour in the world with, with those guys. And, very cool guy still still in contact with him he's still based out over in Michigan so so yeah so he came in and did did those two records with us and um, then after that that's when um, that's later where Ed the great Ed Littlefield came in and joined the family after that
when her children grew too old to need her. Her husband ran off with a bottle of wine. The Indian center had nothing more to offer. The city streets grew dark, cold, and full of lies. She looked into the mirror, her eyes were hollow, no spirit. So she had a giveaway of all her things. The poor neighbors thought she had gone mad. They took her things anyways, after all, they were poor too. She drove her 1964 rusted Chevy as far as it would take her. She got out screaming, running, tearing off her clothes. When she spoke, she was lying on the hilltop. Her shadow waited patiently for her to rise. Four women came singing, bearing gifts, like flickering bright candles in the night. East woman gave her a piece of the sun. South woman opened her mouth. Her song spilled into the universe. West woman gave her four horses. North woman, a bear claw on her robe. When she stood, the people began to rise. Where she walked, the people began to follow. Everywhere, she stepped medicine through. She heard her children calling, coming home. She knew how to purify water. She knew how to suck the poison from one's mind. Every thought she had was good. Everything she thought came true. The people started speaking their own language. Birch bark scrolls rolled out from under the rocks. Everywhere the children were laughing. Grandma had someone to tell stories to. The young woman stayed up all night dancing, and the young men were aware of their power. The trees, the wind started to whisper. Thunderbirds were dancing in the sky. Moose came running through the meadows, fish rushed through the streams. She built her fire from flint and cedar. The smoke made the clouds of medicine in the air. Sickness packed its bags and left the people. Buildings crumbled back into the earth. The president became just a man. The first woman was tended to last. Coyote quit chasing his tail. Raven sang his song of peace. That day, the neighbors thought, she had gone mad. That's the one where it's, it's Bernie, Bernie, uh, it started Bernie unaccompanied on organ and Gene was telling the story while, while Bernie was playing. And yeah, it was awesome just the way Bernie developed and reacted and basically put the story that Gene was telling into, into sound, you know, and just the, yeah, just the arc of that story was was crazy. Well, it's, just watching it's, how Bernie it's one did of the, that. Yeah, he didn't. Bernie didn't even know the story. He didn't even know the story. We just kept going, "Hey, Gene, you know, and one of the then one of the things, hey, I was like, what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, let's. So I've always wanted to use this. And um, and so without even hearing the story or knowing the story, it's like, just okay. It's, it's, go with it and then bernie would try something else you know and then even although he was following me i was also following him and there were some times too as i could go into the studio too and, and randall or preston would say hey you know 
you're up on this mic and then Bernie's on that mic and I have a flute in my hand. Make something, do something, you know, and then we would just go someplace with that. I love how like the story's building and it's, you know, talking about the main character starting to lose their mind and then Bernie starts playing Manic Depression by Jimi Hendrix, just out of the blue, <laughs> slid in there just perfectly, just da-da-da-da-da-da. She had gone mad. He called them like cartoon lines, you know, they were yeah. like sort of like little little snippets of, um, of different songs that you know, he would throw in. Just to just to crack people up, you know, it's kind of a jazz thing, an old jazz thing, you know. Yeah. They play like uh, a line. Well, can you imagine though, like when during that place, but getting into like imagine the whispers that were going into Bernie's, you know, being presented to Bernie. Hmm. You know those whispers that were that were like uh, that going that was going on in his his unconscious presence of who he was. Those whispers. The thing is, Bernie was so brilliant that he, he, he listened to them. And that's another you one. I had, to, I had to learn the, the organ part for the guitar line. So at that point, I've been transcribing his solos enough. I'm like, okay, I got a little bit of idea where he's going <laughs> to go with it at that point. But but yeah, man, I, I love the way Bernie and Gene interface. On, on that song just so so seamlessly that you would have thought that it was you know arranged in advance before, and didn't just happen abruptly out of the blue like that So Blackfish Trap, that was a song. Well, so that, that was a piece that was uh, um, Stephen. Um, oh, my God, I'm drawing a total blank. Hey, Gene, what's what's Steve from Steve from Pamua? What's Blanchett? Stephen I, I Blanchett. I know exactly. Blanchett, yeah. Yeah. So Stephen Blanchett from the great group Pamua from up in Alaska. Um, he started working with us on on Wooch, came down vocalist, and that was one of the sto- That was one of those ones where someone was like, "Hey, you, do you have anything?" And he went out and he told he told the that story. And then after the fact, then when it got to the overdub stage, then um, Skerrick and uh, a great horn player named Hans Tuber, who has who also worked on. Uh, on Heen, um, him and Skerritt came up with the, the horn arrangement for that piece. Akatamani, long ago, far up the small Tundra River, lived two seemingly very different brothers. Both brothers were Nukashbak, great hunters and providers. And both brothers were taught everything by their elders. One brother was mindful of the teaching of his elders, while the other brother became arrogant, boastful, and lazy, 
He started to forget the teaching of his elders, and soon the luck he had in hunting began to change. One day, a little jungik, a little blackfish, was swimming up this tundra river when it came across a fish trap. It swam to the surface and poked its head out and saw this house that was falling apart. The land around it was messy and had animal bones strewn all about. The dogs were barking and placed in any old way. It could see that the fish traps and the fish nets were rotting and full of holes. A man, he came walking out of this house with bones, and he threw these bones on the ground, and the dogs, they fought amongst each other for these little scraps. This Jungik thought to itself, this is not a trap that I would swim into, and it swam on. It didn't swim much further when it happened to come across another fish trap. It swam to the surface and poked its head out of the water to see a house that was well-maintained. The land around it was clean, and the dogs were placed in neat rows. It could see that the fish traps and the fish nets were freshly made. A man, he came walking out of this house with a pot of fish stew, and he gently ladled the stew into each of the dogs' bowls. This Jungkook had saw this and thought to itself, now this is a trap that I'd swim into, and it swam inside. The next day, the two brothers went to go check their traps. First, the respectful brother, the mindful brother, checked his trap. And it was full of fish. Thank you. Thank you for swimming inside. When he went up to his house, he didn't need to remind his wife not to waste anything to be respectful because she knew this. And he didn't need to remind his children because they knew this as well. You see, he taught them just as he had been taught by his elders. Now that lazy, arrogant brother, he went to go check his traps. It was completely empty. He threw the trap back into the water and kicked his way through the barking dogs. And when he went up to his house, his wife complained, fix this house, get more wood. And his children complained that they were hungry because the stew they had been eating had been too thin. Now he was tired of all this complaining. But then he remembered he was going hunting with his brother, and for some reason when he went hunting with his brother, they seemed to have good luck. So they rested the leaves into their dog teams, and they headed far, far out into the tundra. And late that night, while they were sitting by a fire, that arrogant brother complained how bad the fishing has been, how bad the hunting has been, that even that morning his trap was completely empty. Now his brother explained to him that the hunting has been great, fishing has been wonderful. And that even that morning his trap was completely full of fish. Now that arrogant brother became angry. Jealous at his brother's continued good luck in hunting. And he went to bed in a foul, foul, bad mood. And late that night, while the respectful brother lay soundly asleep, that lazy brother, he heard a rustling. And he was startled to see this big black glossy eye of a raven staring right at him. Miss Raven studied him intently and it spoke. Do you know why blackfish have not been swimming into your traps? The same reason why caribou have not been stepping in front of your bow and why seal have not been swimming in front of your spear and why ptarmigan have not been stepping into your snare. You have become lazy. You have forgotten the teachings of your elders. And the raven it flew away. 
And that brother, he hung his head in shame because he knew what the raven told him was right. But then he remembered a time not too long ago when things were much better and they were paddling in a river alongside each other, these two brothers, when they heard a little voice, do you want to know how to catch blackfish? Now they were startled because they were in the middle of nowhere and thought they were all alone. What's that? Who are you? Where are you? And that blackfish that Jenrik spoke, I am right here, down in the water. Look down and you will see me. Now that arrogant brother, he remembered at that time, he paddled away saying, I don't need a blackfish telling me how to catch fish. But this time, this time he bent down to listen, just as his brother did so many years ago. Listen. Listen to your elders. They know how to do it. They have been surviving these ways for generation upon generations. Be mindful of their teachings. Just then that brother, he woke up and said to his brother, I need to go home. There are so many things I need to take care of before I go on my next hunt. And they did. And he took care of those things that he needed to take care of. And soon the luck he had in hunting began to change. But this time, this time they changed for the better. was one of those spontaneous ones where we just went out and just started playing just started jamming and that started off with um stevie nister you know drummer doing a, a tony allen kind of kind of drum part and then bernie bernie laid in first you know with a and then um Preston started coming in along with that i somehow caught what bernie was doing and started harmonizing it and it just it was a it was an instrumental piece all the way with you know Scarrett doing some sax parts but then later he went back and he overdubbed a bunch of stuff and at that point Stephen Blanchett you know he was in in town to, to work on the record and he came up with the the vocal parts so he's doing that in the Yupik language um, and also some other vocalists who worked with us um, Indriani Ananda and Carvey Kainau they they also did some vocals on that, but basically Stephen Blanchett basically being the, the Yupik James Brown on that piece. 10, 
And it's just Randall and I just in the salt mines, you know, you just for, you know, like hours, just like, okay, let me overdub another section. You know, let me over, let me overdub this part, this part. So you kind of get into this rhythm. What can I add here? Or should I not add anything here? Should it be silence? Should it be um, rhythmic ideas and notes and harmony? And then you get an idea, improvise over it maybe, and then add some other parts and you start stacking the horns sometimes or maybe it's just a single voice idea but it's just about you know giving that section of the song some compositional weight how his part translates but um definitely the theme being you know we all have ten thousand generations following behind us giving us giving us strength um and that actually that was a, a kind of a phrase that that nahan came up with you know ten thousand generations of power and that phrase kind of started getting echoing echoed around and steven was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take that and i'm gonna conceptualize that into my piece right here drives that had all the recordings 
like the raw audio on it and it I think by the time we got to Wooch it was like a hundred hours of stuff recorded it was like an insane amount and after that I stopped counting <laughs> how many hours of stuff from the time that Kuik went into the very first session to, up to when we got to you know working on Wooch it, it's just there was just so much thank god you know it's like digital technology now where you can fit it all like in a you know a little handheld hard drive you know back in the old days if it was you know tape it's like that would have been an insane amount <laughs> that would have like filled up you know a wall for sure so so yeah it was a lot of stuff well you know the thing is that um you know the first between the first and the second session that we recorded it was you know, we were just kind of um, clocking the, the the tracks, you know, and they're piling up, and they were getting, you know, they were getting, uh, you know, to be it was getting to be a lot of music, and Randall's you started to get a little concerned, like <laughs> it's like I don't know how I'm going to finish all this stuff because we were it was all improvised, and oftentimes it was one take. And the fourth session was after we had already learned about Bernie um, having uh, lung cancer. And, um, and yet, you know, he had moved to, uh, to Washington State. And, um, you know, we were all thinking like, oh, this is going to be great, you know, because, you know, potentially we could play together live more and, and do um, who knows what, 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 what could have happened. But... Um, uh, and then we learned that Bernie got sick, and but Judy's, you know, called me up and said, you know, I just, I'm, I want him to be out there with his friends, and I want him to be, you know, a, a, an idle Bernie is is bad, is bad news. Like, you know, he just, you know, he can't, he can't sit here and dwell on, you know, his condition, what what he's going through. So. I said, well, do you think that he would agree, would you and he agree that he could come and do another recording session with us, you know? And um, she said, absolutely, you know, that's what he, I want him to hang out with his friends and his colleagues and, you know, that that's that's what, he, you know, it's going to keep him going, you know? And so, so he did come down from, at that point he's up in Bellingham area. And, uh, and so he... You know, we all got together again, and this time we did like a six-day session, and um, we recorded. And you know, Bernie was, you know, up and down. You know, he was like, you know, sometimes he'd be go take a take a nap on the couch, you know, and then he'd wake up like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> he'd pop up and like, hey, you ready to, you know, do some tracks? Meanwhile, we would have been overdubbing something, you know, maybe. Uh, percussion or a second guitar part or whatever it was and so then um then he got up kind of refreshed and he'd, he'd like sit down and and put some more tracks down and stuff and then yeah we did yeah that six days resulted in two albums worth of material two uh, uh triple two triple lps it's pretty much most of the heen album and the most current wooch album yeah, all of that stuff was done pretty much the last, uh, that last session, which would have been in the spring of 2016, like March or something like that. The Wilderness Within 
and uh, they forgot they survived, came out of the same two studio session runs. So basically, those there's those two sessions, and then those first two records, they forgot they survived, and over this with them came out of came out of those, and then Heen and Wooch came out of. used to uh, and so once I've done something I'm moving on and I guess by being born with perfect pitch and being able to hear all types of music being able to appreciate and be able to play all different genres um, anything different if it's not the same old thing cool <laughs> it's not the same I mean, the camera, so not the same old song, the same. Um, so I welcome different, uh, different, uh, uh, something different, you know, not, not the one, just stay jaded, stay stuck in one place. Or, or we can go to China now, we can go to Japan. Or, Africa, Cuba, it's Norwegian, whatever you can just limitless, and 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 explore and experiment and come up with something. Or not necessarily come up with it, but see what you come up with with the team within yourself and and in the players. The team thing just be a thing with you. We're team playing off each other. Because if it's up to me, <laughs> I hope we sit. Well, now they sit down and play until you sat down and play. I couldn't see what he had. Well, he had something in the window. Do you feel like you're always learning? Still? Oh, you never stop learning. If you think that you know it all, Um, do you have any sort of advice for for young musicians and uh, people trying to get into music? I don't know about what you're getting into nowadays. <laughs> but I don't think it's worth getting into nowadays unless you put hands on. You have to. I can't say you have to, but I feel that. Hands on an instrument, hands on uh, whatever instrument you choose. It's like your vocal is within the body. You have to, you have to touch something. 
and besides a button and think you know it all because <laughs> it's nothing. All you did you push the button. Now tell me what chord that is that that button pushed. Huh? Oh, oh. Tell me, uh, is that the root on the bottom of uh, the note of the chord that you, of the button that you push, or is that the fifth? <laughs> oh, is there a seventh in that chord of the button that you push? Oh, what's the name of the note of the button that you push? <laughs> a lot of people don't know. Yeah, no, they just push the button. Oh, uh, drum beats when I. Okay. So, you know, just try to have some, so you feel it. You have to feel it. Hit the drum skins, boom, feel the stick, hit back, catch you. Fundamentally speaking, hands on tweaking. <laughs> my name is Clarissa Rizal. My role in this project, I think, is like as a consultant in the sense of some of the um, traditional songs. I see this, uh, the, the style, as a way of, um, yes, keeping the songs alive, but also inspiring the younger generation, our generation, and the young, younger generation to think outside of the box, that to think in terms of harmony, to think in terms of you know, harmonizing with the voices, to think in terms of storytelling with, with music in the background. You know, we used to do that. We used to perform with the music. You'd have the visual and then you, you'd have the music and all of that and, that, and the dance. It's just, it's just that it's the same thing, really, except it's just slightly different. You know, it's just slightly different beat, different instruments, you know, additional instruments is what it is here and these guys are having a great time and I think it's really important to have that cross-cultural exchange because these guys get to be exposed to a little bit of you know the Northwest Coast style drum and music and way of dance and being and we get to be exposed to incorporating you know a different sound a different you know additional beats and all this other stuff and I think it's it's inspiring you cannot help but be inspiring to all the, you know, the next generations of, of kids and, and human beings, no matter what culture they come from. Kuni, 
ناکوٹ نخمی چکنائی ٹوٹ <laughs> Nalu yagu chunaku.